You have unlocked the eternal link to internal source. The key of imagination. Your admission. Access to the enlightened dimension. A gateway at the junction of darkness and light. The place at which the chaos of our conditioned frame of mind give way to a life in constant flux, only to be mastered through vigilant discipline. Peaceful times may come, testing times may go. This is the ebb and flow. Hey everybody, welcome to the Ebb and Flow podcast. I'm your host, Eben Britton. It's great to be with you guys again. I hope you're staying safe and staying sane in this crazy time we find ourselves in. I've got a hell of a guest lined up for you today. A guy I've been following for a little while now. He's got some fascinating information and knowledge to share with you. Uh, his name is Dr. Sean Baker. He is the carnivore diet uh, expert. He's the CEO of MeatRx.com. We'll have all that stuff for you later on in the show notes. But Sean, it's great to have you, my brother. Thank you for taking the time. Hey, Evan, man, thanks for having me. I look forward to, to the discussion. I'm sure it'll be interesting. Absolutely, man. So, um, you know, I came across your story first on uh, Rogan's podcast, and I thought it was fascinating. It sort of blew my mind that there was this whole you know, we've all heard of the vegan craze and, you know, people have been preaching the health benefits of veganism for, you know, as long as I think we can all remember. Um, so the idea that people can sustain themselves, not only sustain themselves, but actually cure themselves of all sorts of issues, whether that's mental health issues such as depression, anxiety, or autoimmune disorders, you name it, they're being affected it in a very positive way by switching to this all meat diet. Um, and that just blew my mind and I, I wanted to learn more. So um, I'd love it if you could just sort of give my audience, my listeners, a little overview of, you know, your background and how you came to this uh, place, because it's really your way of life and your, you know, your, your way of being at this stage. Yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm a, I'm a medical doctor. I was an orthopedic surgeon. You know, I practiced for about 20 years. I've been an athlete my whole life, and you know, I didn't, I didn't play in the NFL, but I, you know, I played high level rugby against, you know, some of the top guys in the world. I went through powerlifting. I went through uh, strongman competitions. You know, I, I've been at national levels and all these and set records. You know, throughout the years, you know, as as an athlete, I got into Highland Games, won a world championship for that got into mm -hmm. rowing this concept too and set several world records and I so I've been a really, you know, just athlete and it's been part of who I am and I've looked for performance. And I didn't really discover nutri you know, nutrition, the, the essentiality role of nutrition in not only performance but also in health, real specifically until I was in my early forties. I'm in my mid fifties now. And and so I kind of made this journey uh, you know, of you know, discovering nutrition and the impact on my own health. And then I started to my patients as a surgeon and then suddenly seeing that, wow, these people that were on the schedule for surgery, now they don't even need surgery because their mm -hmm. symptoms went away, which was pretty enlightening for me and pretty revolutionary. And, you know, it made me pretty happy to see that. And so as I, I kind of transitioned more towards lifestyle stuff, it wasn't really aligned well with, you know, 
a lot of the hospitals because they rely on these procedures to pay the bills. And so it kind of, it's kind of, there's, there's not really a good financial incentive for doing this, but nonetheless, it's the right thing to do. And so nutrition right. does make a huge, huge difference in our health as you know, many of us are discovering, at least ones to care about their health. Now, my journey into this sort of carnivore or meat-based diet wasn't something I just kind of capriciously said, oh, I'm just going to try this. No, I had gone through this 10-year journey of trying different diets, seeing how it affected, affected my health, body performance, mental outlook, mood, you know, just, you know, just general health. And I got to where I, you know, I went from a, a low-fat, you know, high vegetable salad, lean meat, you know, a little bit of lean meat diet, lost weight. I was, you know, like you, I was, at one point I was about 305, you know, when I was doing the strongman stuff in the Highland games, you know, it's just one of those sports you got to be, you know, you can't be in the NFL yeah. and be 150 yeah. more. You got to be to a certain size. So you got to your for your job. And so I was doing that. And then when I decided I didn't want to do that anymore, I was like, it's time to, to kind of get leaner. And so I dropped I dropped like 50 pounds in three months. It wasn't hard. I mean, it was just a big caloric deficit right. and a lot of, a lot of exercise. I mean, it's three times a day, jumping rope, lifting, jumping rope, you know, three times a day while working as a surgeon, you know, just kind of, kind of doing a lot of work. And I did that, but I found it was sustainable. I mean, I couldn't make, I couldn't just constantly exercise and not eat enough. I mean, this is, this is what, yeah. we're, what I'm actually doing. And I was pretty grouchy and grumpy and, you know, the nurses didn't like me, you know, they liked the fat Dr. Baker better, you know, <laughs> big Dr. Baker, the, the more, you know, filled out guy. Yeah. And so I, I quickly realized that wasn't sustainable. So I, I went away from that really low fat sort of approach to something that I could sustain. That, that was more of a paleolithic type of diet, include a little more animal products, animal fats. I went from there to kind of a general low carb diet. I started reading, you know, and reading and reading and reading and reading books and reading studies and, you know, experimenting and, and really taking an interest in this for about, you know, almost a decade now. Uh, and then uh, I got into a ketogenic diet for a while. And then I started looking at, you know, I started looking at these people that were doing this crazy all meat diet. They called it a zero carb diet. And I started looking back into historical stuff, you know, guys like Vince Garanda and some of the other bodybuilders that used, you know, steak and egg diets and, you know, obtain really good athletic results. And this is pre-steroid era. In a lot of cases, and they're still putting a pretty good body composition. And even before that, there's history of this, this diet being used for years. I'm certainly not the first person to advocate for this. It's been hundreds of years before we're talking about this. So I, um, at, right before I turned 50 years of age, I, I was you know, starting to get a little bit of a follow on social media. I said, hey, I'm gonna do a, do a meat-based diet, all meat for 30 days. And it was kind of a joke. I mean, it was just kind of, you know, on, on social sure. media, it's like, hey, we're just gonna try it, see what happens. And I really felt good. I mean, I was like, you know, the little aches and pains I had accumulated from years as being an athlete, kind of went away. And I was like, that's kind of curious. I've never, I kind of expected at 50, I was kind of like, this is my existence. I'm going to have right. these things. And when they, they went away, it was like, well, wow, that's pretty cool. Uh, and then 30 days was up and I said, well, that was a fun experiment. And then I went back, you know, I added these other foods in, and then all of a sudden these aches and pains came back. I'm like, well, that's not good. So I went back to the meat only diet. Um, and I continued to do it two months, turned into six months. And at that time I was, you know, starting to do this, this, this repetitive concept to rowing. And while I was on a full carnivore diet, I ended up breaking, you know, six, well, I ended up with six American records and three world records, you know, mm. well, without any, just on a purely meat-based diet. Um, and then at that time we got, you know, more and more people interested in it. We got hundreds of people to try it. They were getting similar results to me. And now here I am, you know, over three and a half years later, still on this kind of meat-based diet and still, you know, doing well. I mean, I'm still performing extremely high level for, for, you know, I don't know if you see what I do. Yeah, I do. I do man. And I'm, you know, I'm still getting after it pretty good. 
Fucking A, dude. Uh, 53, I mean, you're fucking throwing that 200-pound med ball around like it's nothing, dude. <laughs> well, and, it's not nothing, but it's hard work. But it's, oh, it's, absolutely. You know, the 150's easy now. The 150, I, just did, I just did the 150 for 20 reps to a 16-inch box in like a minute 40. So Love that. That's good. But that, that's good work, man. I, for anybody who's never done that stuff, that's that's fun stuff. You know, it's fun and hard work, and, you know, it's it's, it's good. Absolutely, man. Um, and I, I have to say that following your journey for the last few years, man, you look like you're, you're leaner. You look younger. Yeah. You know, you look like you're getting into better shape as the years go on. Yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, I mean, I probably, you know, probably in the best shape of my life right now at 53. I mean, and, and, and oh. this is coming from doing athletics my whole life. And I always, you know, I mean, just from a body composition, so this is the leanest I've ever been. Probably there might've been one other time when I was just lean, but this is probably as lean as I've ever been. And performance wise, I mean, I, I feel great. I mean, I literally get up every day and train hard and I don't, I'm not sore. I have excellent recovery. I mean, I'm like, you know, like I put up every day I'm doing, doing really taxing stuff. And, you know, like I said, I think I certainly believe in recovery, but Absolutely. recovery is what it what it, what it needs to be. And when I, if I need to take a day off, I'll take a day off. But most days I wake up and I said, "Yeah, well, I feel great. Let's go attack it again." And it's, yeah. it's great. Um, you know, I know you have a, a background in the NFL, and there's a guy that I just saw. I don't know if you know the guys. We got him, Danny Sorensen. He's a he's yeah, of course. Fan. Yeah, so he's on a carnivore diet now. He's he's just announced after the Super Bowl he went on carnivore and he feels great. So we'll just see how he performs this year. I've seen a number of – there's a guy, Matt Spack, who's another guy who's also ex-NFL. He's on it now, and he says he wished he would have discovered this while he was while in he was playing. Because uh, I will tell you, the unique thing that I found, recovery is tremendous. Yeah. Uh, you know, you just you just feel good. And when you – you know, as you know, performance, you know, when you get beat up day in and day out, man, yeah. some days you don't want to train. Some days you don't want you – just, you, you're just limited by the way you feel. Absolutely. In NFL, everybody gets injured to some degree. I mean, you yeah. can't – can't be in the NFL and not have some kind of nagging injury. I mean, that's I definitely mean, you're pretty lucky. Yeah. No, every guy, every season, every single guy is dealing with some injury that's lingering, whether it's a bum ankle, a torn muscle, et cetera. Like every guy has something going on. Um, so I'm curious about for my for my listeners, I'd love for you to talk about, you know, some of the results that people have seen and, you know, why, I mean, you know, this is fascinating, you know, there, this isn't just, you know, a bunch of nut jobs going out there and experimenting with just eating meat, you know, there's a lot of science and experience that's going into the, the way this is changing people's lives for the better. Yeah, so there are, and I can we can talk about the the the, the theoretical mechanisms and some of the data that we have on this. We, we are we are right now in the middle of a Harvard study with with David Ludwig and Belinda Leonard as a principal investigator, uh, being done data collector right now. So this is this is going this there's a, there's about three thousand people that have entered the study. So we have some good science going in. And then, you know, there's science going back hundreds of years on this diet. But what we're, what I see is you know first of all we see the common things. You know, a lot of people have arthritis. A lot of people have Unfortunately, mental health issues, mood disorders, a lot of people have uh, digestive problems. And we see those things being common as they are, commonly being fixed by appropriate diet. They, diet has a role in just about every chronic disease out there. I think that's yeah. a fair statement to say. And so when we look at, you know, what, what, is a, what is a meat-based diet? Well, we know that humans have been eating meat for roughly 3 million years. I mean, if we, we talk about human beings. Yeah. Humans are not necessarily just homo sapiens. Humans are 
Neanderthal, Homo erectus, Homo habilis, and so on and so forth. So humans have inhabited the earth, you know, if you believe in an evolutionary model, for almost three million years. And we've been eating meat that entire time. So that is part of our natural diet. And in some cases, we ate it, a lot of it, a lot of it going back, particularly as we migrated throughout the world. You know, we, we couldn't have depended upon a plant food source of diet to get through from Africa to, 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 to Europe, to Asia, to North, to across the Bering Strait, North America, South America. There had to have been, you know, you couldn't say this plant was essential because it doesn't grow everywhere. It doesn't grow. Right. So, you know, what, what's available all the time year round is some kind of animal, whether it's a deer or a seal or whatever. We eat everything, right? So, yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of the, the plausibility of this stuff. And so what happens is, and we've known, I mean, there are populations, there are people like the Sami tribe in northern Finland that lived, exist on reindeer, and they live longer mm. than the, the, pe- the other people in Finland. So they have longer life, better health than the people that are eating what, you know, the Western diet in Finland. And we've got a number of examples historically. But what we see is, you know, when you're on a meat-based diet, one thing's happening. You're, cutting, you're not eating junk food. First of all, right. I don't care if you if you believe in plant based diet. That's fine. It's, you know, everybody that promotes it is a whole food plant based diet. Limit limit the seed oils, right? This is this is kind of the latest iteration of the plant based yes. diet. So basically, you're cutting out junk food. And you're doing the same thing on a meat based diet. Now, the difference is when we look at biochemically what human beings require, and this is not controversial. Human beings require essential amino acids, essential fats, vitamins, and minerals. All of that can be obtained from a meat-based diet. You know, some people argue about vitamin C. If you want to get plenty of vitamin C on a meat-based diet, you can eat things like liver and other organ meats. Although the vitamin C requirements seem to change, you know, if you're not taking as much glucose, there's a lot of evidence to support that. Hmm. There is, um, you know, when we look at what is going on besides eliminating food, meat is highly, highly bioavailable. We are well adapted. You know, the people that are plant-based advocates are saying meat sits there and rots in your colon. There's nothing further from the truth than that. There's no data that supports that. Our, our meat is absorbed within our small intestine before it ever even gets into our colon. I mean, we have hmm. a number of ileostomy patients. These are patients that have lost their colon and now they, you know, they have to go to go into a bag yeah. and we see what comes out. And when they eat meat, nothing enters the bag. I mean, it's a tiny amount of liquid. Interesting. So you don't have meat. You think about it. Last time you go to the toilet, you see corn in your stool, but you don't yeah. see pieces of meat. I mean, or le- like leafy green. Yeah, I mean, you don't see pieces of meat in your stool, and if you did, you're, there's a, that's a medical emergency. <laughs> but it doesn't rot. It doesn't sit in there, so, so it's well absorbed. Um, it's it's higher bioavailability. It's better quality nutrition, and that's what we're seeing. Is uh, there's some, there's a there's a group of researchers in Europe that are looking at gut permeability, and we see that gut permeability seems to be associated with autoimmune diseases. Uh, mental health diseases, even asthma, which this was not considered an autoimmune disease. All of these things seem to take origin in the gut and the gut permeability. The microbiome may have a role in there, but ultimately it's you know gut health, gut permeability leading these things. And we see a meat-based diet, when they actually test for gut permeability, they see that that becomes normal on a meat-based diet. Whereas mm. a diet that contains medications, sweeteners, seed oils, you know, uh, certain other Dairy products, uh, you know, uh, certain vegetables and things like that can cause disruptions in gut permeability for some people. That seems to, when you have when you have permeability across that membrane and you have permeability across other membranes in the body, including the blood-brain barrier, that may be leading to sort of sort of inflammation in the brain itself, which may be contributing to some of the mental health problems. And then, additionally, we see on a meat-based diet, you know, because you're not you. 
you're not consuming glucose. You're not taking any the carbohydrates. So the right. glucose levels are made, they're manufactured by the liver through something called gluconeogenesis, which can occur from protein or fats. Right. And that ends up usually resulting in very steady glucose because your body will make what it needs. Mm. And you don't have these high fluctuations in glucose. And without this fluctuating glucose, we often see mood is stabilized because people are, you know, they've got this right. constant supply of energy of their brain. They don't have these ups and downs in, in energy getting to the brain uh, and, and then their mood reflexes. So generally, most people on this diet, you know, the, you sort of got this baseline, you know, kind of chilled out but mildly happy. I mean, this is kind of like, you're just kind of like, you know, you're doing well and yeah. uh, you, you avoid those things. So, I, I mean, I've seen autoimmune disease. I mean, almost... I can't, it's rare for me to think of a, a relatively common disease that has not gotten better with, with this diet, whether it's diabetes, hypertension, even cardiovascular disease. Um, you know, we see autoimmune symptoms, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriasis, eczema, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, irritable bowel syndrome, uh, depression, anxiety, even PTSD. All of these things seem to respond and get better, at least to some degree with this diet for most people. That's amazing. So what is the, what is sort of the working theory or the, the science around why meat by itself is so beneficial rather than in combination or in concert with other foods, whether right. well, plants or starches, et cetera? Yeah. So I think one is quality. I think, you know, just from a qualitative standpoint and an efficiency standpoint, if we look at all the animals that have ever existed on planet Earth, going back 800 million years when the first multicellular organisms started to evolve, the, the strategy of 90% of all those animals that have ever existed has been a carnivorous strategy. That is to say, they eat other animals to build animal cells, animal mm -hmm. structures. It's just more efficient. It's a very efficient way to, to do business. You know, you'd be like yep. if you're building a brick house, you need bricks. You know, yep. you don't. You don't need straw, you know, it's, you, you need what you need and you don't, if you don't have to convert stuff and this is what happens. And so the, the, the herbivore and even the omnivorous strategy has been much, it's been a later development and it, 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 it tends to be less efficient. The grasslands evolved about a hundred million years ago. And this is when we started seeing the ruminant animals and obviously the animals that ate those, the, uh, the, the you know, the carnivore predators are out there. But the theory really is that, you know, one is it's, efficiency of nutrition it is you know there is just much better bioavailability which i alluded to earlier i mean we yeah. see that so like we can look at the rda you know this is interesting the rda is starting to get 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 this and the rda was developed you know basically basically world war ii they're trying to figure out what to feed the soldiers so they did you know they looked at population studies and they said well we know that when people eat this much of this nutrient they don't get you know disease x whether it's whether it's uh scurvy, beriberi, pellagra, all these different nutrition deficiency diseases. Mm. And that's how a lot of it was done. And, you know, they had some intervention stuff where they would do that and they would test a few people. But generally the background diet for that was a standard, you know, carbohydrate and grain-based diet. You know, what, what Americans have been eating for, you know, you know at least a hundred years now. Yeah. Um, and so that was the, the, the origins of the RDA. And so what we're seeing now is that like we're, we're seeing that, Things like zinc. So zinc, we know if you eat a lot of phytic acid, it, it competes with the absorption of zinc. Mm. And this comes from things like beans and legumes and grains and things like that. 
And so they, now the RDA will say that if you eat 1,000 milligrams of phytic acid, you need to double your zinc intake. If you eat 2,000 milligrams of phytic acid, you need to triple your zinc intake mm. because, of the, because of the absorption problems. And so we're seeing that meat doesn't have anything that limits absorption. You know, we hear about polyphenols. Well, polyphenols are great. They, they, they stimulate the immune system. They provide something called hormesis, which is considered, you know, like low level of stress and your body just kind of builds this defense mechanism. Mm. And, uh, but what we don't talk about is like polyphenols, they inhibit the absorption of essential fats and essential amino acids. And so it's like, well, if we're eating these polyphenols mm. and we're limiting our absorption of protein and fats, is that a net good thing or a bad thing? We don't know. Uh, much of nutrition, this is a problem in nutrition research in general. It is dependent upon observational studies, which are just very, very weak. They're very poor science. They can't show what they think it shows. I mean, when they try to extrapolate to say, you know, I'm going to eat this type of diet in hopes that I'm not going to get heart disease in 20 years or cancer in 30 or 40 years, there's no evidence. I mean, the evidence that would suggest that is so incredibly weak. And that's why, you know, in 2019, the Nutrix organization that was you know, one of the senior research authors is a guy named Gordon Guyatt. Gordon Guyatt invented the term evidence-based medicine. He literally, in 1991, wrote a paper saying this is what evidence-based medicine is. He coined that phrase. He's been studying evidence for 30-some years. I mean, he's like the probably one of the most credible guys in the world about evaluating evidence. And, he, and, and part of that Nutrix study in 2019 said red meat, does not cause cancer. It does not cause heart disease. It does not cause any disease. Or the only evidence that would support that is extremely, extremely weak. And so we have to realize our nutrition science is just problematic to start with. But uh, is it? Uh, you know, I know. I, I feel like I know the answer to this. But is it because it's the science around food in our country has been compromised by the people who are funding? I mean, certainly that's there. I mean, you know, like I said, I don't want to paint all researchers as, as biased and, you know, compromised, but I mean, there is certainly some funding. What happens is, you know, if you're a researcher and you're doing the thing and you do something and you do a research product that supports the interest of a company, that company's going to give you more money to fund right. the next study. So yeah. it's not necessarily that these researchers are saying, I'm going to go out in order to support Coca-Cola. But Coca-Cola might say, hey, look, he's doing some research to support yourself. Let's, let's kick another half a million dollars into his research fund for this year. And so we see that, that influence. And we do know that, you know, back going back in the 1960s, guys like Fred Stare at Harvard was taking money from the sugar lobby or the sugar industry right. to sort of demonize fat. So there is some compromise in that. That clearly has existed. Um, it, and it's really hard to do good nutritional research. It really, really is. Um, I think there's some good researchers out there. But I, I really, I think if we focus on, you know, we have such a sick population, you know, we're in, the, we're in the United States, we are one of the most resource, you know, blessed countries in the world. We have so much money, we have so much resource, we have so much access to food and nutrition. Yeah. Uh, and we have some, and we, and, and we spend $3.5 trillion a year in healthcare, and we have some of the worst population health metrics, you yeah. know, on any westernized country on the planet. And that's a huge problem. And so... I think that, uh, you know, we have to realize that we have a lot of sick people. You know, unfortunately, you know, there's people that have figured out they don't, they're not sick anymore. But the majority of the population, you know, there's recent studies show that 88% of us are metabolically unhealthy. So we have a huge problem with these people. And I think the, the, the solution 
is not to say, let's not worry about what they're going to die of in 30 years because we don't really know. We don't, we don't right. have the data that shows at least with regard to exercise. But let's take these people that are sick today. Maybe they're obese. Maybe they're diabetic. Maybe they have hypertension, immunities, you know, depression, whatever, and make those things no longer true for that person. Take them from obese to non-obese. Take them from non-diabetic to non-diabetic. And if we just focus on that um, yeah. and make that our priority, not lowering their cholesterol so they don't get heart disease in 30 years, then I think we have a huge, huge, you know, we, we, we can really impact lives and really prevent a lot of unnecessary suffering and a lot of unnecessary waste of, of resources, you know, financial and, and you know, uh, people's, people's resources otherwise. Yeah, I love that approach and that, that mentality. I think it's, fuck, I mean, I don't know. I think we're probably the sickest and unhealthiest we've ever been in America. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. I mean, we're only getting sicker. The obesity clinic, uh, the, the obesity crisis, only, you know, getting worse and going worse and, you know, dumping technology into it and, and, and you know, multi-million dollar band-aids on is not the answer. And, you know, it's, you know, it's a political year. He's fighting about, you know, well, right now they're fighting about the coronavirus, but they're fighting about how do we fund this healthcare system? You know, what's the best way? Do we go to single payer and my answer is, why are you funding? I mean, this is literally like funding the Titanic as it's about to hit the iceberg. It's like, you know, you're in there arguing about the deck chairs, rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. We're like, get on another damn ship, guys. We got to just, we got to, you know, change the way we do business or we're going to, we're, we're just not going to, we're just going to bankrupt the country. You know, it's, uh, you know, healthy. This is another thing we talk about the environment, you know, because people are concerned about, you know, meeting the environment. So right. So, it's, it's really unfounded when we look at the data. I mean, we can see what's happening as we're not driving our cars or flying planes. You know, pollution's going away. The cows are still there. They're still, they're still belching and forming. Yeah. And, you know, everything's clearing up. So, I mean, I think we're finding that out. And, there, and there's more nuance to that. And there's, you know, people talk about methane. But that's, there's, a, there's a long, a uh, lot of information. There. But sick human beings contributing to a healthcare system. Our healthcare system provides something like 10% of our greenhouse gases. All of agriculture only provides 9%, and all of animal agriculture is only 4%, and cows are only 2%. This is based on U.S. EPA data. So if we want to say what's not sustainable wow. in the environment, it's sick people. We've got to have less sick people. You know, if you want to fix the healthcare system, stop making so many damn sick people. That's, that's where it starts. And it starts with food and lifestyle and nutrition Amen. and changing our priorities. And if we don't do that... In a, in a major aggressive way and not give lip service. Cause I've, you know, in medicine, you know, medical school prevention is just the lip service. It's like, yeah, yeah. A little bit of this. It's like fluff. It's like, it's, it, it doesn't have any teeth to it. And I think you know, if we change our policies, you know, maybe, maybe it's grassroots, maybe enough people wake up, maybe social media will influence enough people. You know, it's, it's just, you know, it's hard to tell people to exercise and eat right and have them actually do it. You know, and it's hard to make yeah. a policy like that. You know, Japan yeah. has Japan has stuff like that in place where if you're obese, you know, you you suffer some consequence. You know, you might have a tax issue or your or your employer gives you gives you problems. So it's a different mentality. And I don't know that interesting. It, you know, I mean, you know, there's a lot of restrictions on personal liberties. And some people say, hey, it's my right to be fat and out of shape and drink beer and lay on the couch and do drugs. That's my right. You know, whatever. You can't take that away from me. And I understand this freedom type of stuff. But at the same point, you know, we were, you know, we've this coronavirus where we've locked people in homes, we've taken away in order to protect a small minority of people that are going to get sick, uh, that are metabolically unhealthy to start with most likely. We're willing to take these drastic, drastic measures, mobilize the military, lock down the country, 
you know, shut businesses for that. But at the same time, you know, if somebody were to suggest, Hey, maybe we shouldn't produce so much crap food. Yeah. We should, you know, that's, that's, Oh, no, no, no. I want to eat my pizza and I want to eat my, my sugary sweets as much as I want. I want to eat dessert 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If I, if I, if I, if I can. Yeah. That's yeah. Right Absolutely, man. Amen to that. Uh, fuck. I, I, um, it's fascinating as someone I'm curious about this. Um, as a guy, uh, orthopedic surgeon, someone who has worked in the Western medical establishment, food is not something that's you're you're not educated on food and nutrition through medical school, are you? No, not at all. I mean, you know, you you learn the basics about what vitamin deficiencies lead to what diseases, and you know, basically, it's you know, people that are old overweight or malnourished don't heal as well. And they have higher rates for infection rates and they have, you know, healing complications and stuff like that. But there's no, if I look up like carpal tunnel syndrome and I say, what are, what's the treatment for carpal tunnel syndrome? Well, it's activity modification, it's braces. Sometimes we'll do injections and all that stuff. We work, we can do a little carpal tunnel release surgical procedure. That is the paradigm. We see it over and over. Right. Knee arthritis, the same thing. It's, you know, it's, lose it's 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 lose weight it's it's uh uh it's physical therapy it's it's you know medications it's it's injections it's right. you know, arthroscopies and then finally none of that support you end up with a knee replacement but nowhere in there is it saying this diet may impact this you know if you read all the reviews in north peak and i read these things and i'm looking at nowhere does it suggest that a particular diet or implementing a diet could have any role, even though there's literature, there's scientific literature out there now that shows that, you know, low carbohydrate diets seem to impact knee pain and make it better. There's evidence that high insulin affects the synovial cells that line the joint, which lead to inflammatory cytokines that accelerate arthritis. And so Absolutely. we have that literature in the, in the, out there, but it's, it's not really taught to uh, surgeons, you know, uh, you know, as, a, as an orthopedic surgeon recommending fracture, post-fracture care, I mean, we, you know, we learn a little bit about calcium, increase your calcium intake to, you know, 1,500 milligrams a day or something like that, maybe add some vitamin D, but really it's protein. I had to learn that afterwards. It's like, you know, protein is what, I mean, bones are made out of about 40 to 50% protein. You know, mm. college, there's a collagen backbone on which these minerals are deposited, but we, we don't even talk about eating enough protein. I mean, this is one of the shames. I mean, you as an athlete probably appreciate protein, but I mean, just for yeah. general health, we have an RDA that is abysmally, abysmally low in protein. It is like just enough to not die. You know, it's like, this is a scarce minimum you can have right. to, to, to just, you know, not fall apart and it doesn't help you thrive. We should be thriving. And the RDA is your recommended daily allowance. Correct. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, I think that's so fascinating. You know, I guess as an athlete, you know, I've always had such a intuitive relationship with what I'm putting into my body and how it makes me feel. And that has, you know, crossed all boundaries into the food that I eat, you know, and I know that in the past, man, I, I've had, I, I have felt an experience for myself when I eat something that doesn't agree with my biochemistry, whether that's a high starchy thing or a high sugar thing, I wake up the next day and I fucking feel it. You know, whether it's aching knees, bad hips, my back hurts, I've got a fucking headache, you know, and thankfully just 
on my journey, I've be, I've been able to recognize that, you know, and I think so many people are going around maybe because of this paradigm that a lot of people, most Americans are functioning under, which is sort of this Western medical paradigm of like, if something hurts, there's a, there's a pill for it. There's an injection for it. You know, if not, you can have surgery, et cetera. Um, and I think your point of, you know, let's get back to the basics of how important nutrition and exercise are to your overall well-being. Um, so, Sean, I, I know you got only about an hour here and, you know, we're, we're halfway in. I, I'd love for you to talk about, you know, if someone's out there and they're interested in, you know, taking this step and trying the carnivore diet, how does somebody go about that? What are your practices? Like what's a daily routine for you? Like for me, I'm a big fan of intermittent fasting. I know that you do a lot of that as well. And I'm curious, you know, what is a day of a carnivore diet look like? Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, what I'd, what I'd say just to your earlier point, and I'll get into this, we have, you know, this perception of as we get older and, you know, you spending time in the NFL, getting beat up, you, you know, even at a relatively young age, you know, you, you have this feedback that, yeah. you know, when I eat poorly, I get sore. And a lot of people, you know, they, they kind of think that is normal. They, they, they take it as normal aging. You know, it's like, well, you know, I'm 40, my back's supposed to hurt a little bit. I'm supposed to have a little bit of a gut. You know, you've got the quote unquote right. dad bod that we're accepting now. Fuck that, uh, you know, yeah, no, exactly. And, and it, it's, it's, it's not it is common, but it is not normal. It is not normal to feel aches and pains and be sore and, you know, you know, be impotent and, you know, tired and depressed as you get older. Those are not normal things. I don't care how old you are. You shouldn't expect that. You should expect to thrive, to function, perform into your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. It doesn't matter. I mean, this is, this is my truth, my belief. I think, you know, you live a full, robust, functional life, you drop dead at 90 or whatever, rapidly you know you don't spend 40 years decaying right off and then a lot of people they don't realize that until they they change their lifestyle and they, they think it's normal because everyone around them experiences a normal thing i thought you know for me in my digestion i would have this you know kind of just a little bit of wonky digestion that's oh, just kind of normal digestion until i fixed my diet and i was like wow that wasn't normal for me or the tendonitis i had for 10 years as an orthopedic surgeon i was dealing with right quad tendonitis Mm. It would never go away, and I'd stretch and do eccentric exercises and, you know, all the things that I know as a surgeon that tend to maybe help this. But it wasn't until I changed my diet that tendonitis went completely, completely away, and, I was, and it hasn't come back. And it was like, wow, that's really interesting. The diet plays a role in that. And the patients that I thought were kind of odd when they tell me that eating, you know, whatever, gluten affected their joints, I always kind of wrote them off as kind of wacky, but then I realized that, Hey man, there's something to this stuff, but to your point about starting the diet. So first of all, you know, we've got this, this company called meterx.com. It is a, it's probably the largest resource on the planet for everything about this diet. It has hundreds and hundreds of success stories. It has support meetings, support groups. It has, you know, coaching. If you need that really inexpensive, we kept the price down super low. So more people can access to it. It has 8,000 research articles plus on health, all the things like high protein diets, how it affects awesome. the kidneys and cardiovascular disease. So we, 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 we create all this giant research stuff. We have research on the environment, how meat impacts the environment. We have recipes, you know, we have on and on something. We have a fasting part that if, if people like to do the fasting, intermittent fasting or an extended fasting. So that's where I start. But my general philosophy for people 
you know, depending on why they're doing it. Now, most people, you know, not every person needs to be on a carnivore diet to be healthy. I think there's, right. there's, I mean, there's plenty of room for healthy diets that don't involve that. But for some people, you know, when we assume that nutrition plays a role in a problem, whether it's mental health disease or physical health disease, and I think it does in many cases, then it becomes, well, how do I figure that out? Well, if I'm eating, you know, 35 different foods or 100 foods, it really is really challenging. It's really challenging to isolate which one is doing it. It's like playing the game of Clue where you got, you know, 25 characters instead of eight. But now you, you now when you go to a meat-based diet and you go to, you know, you can use it as an elimination style diet and you get there and you, you're only eating basically one or two things basically. And that becomes really easy to see what, what affects you. But what I tell people when they start, most people have this really maladaptive relationship with food. They don't eat sure. because they're for nutrition purposes. And it's not that you shouldn't enjoy your food. I damn sure I haven't eaten yet today. It's, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon yeah. and or almost three o'clock. And I'm going to, I've got a couple pounds of sirloin roast. I'm going to eat and, you know, right. some things. And I'm going to enjoy the hell out of that thing. It's going to be great. It's going to be delicious. I'm going to have some flounder with it. I'll cook it up in a pan with a little ghee and you know, a little seasoning on there. It's going to be a great meal. I'm going to enjoy every aspect of it. But there are a lot of people that eat, you know, because they're bored, because, you know, they're stressed out, because, yeah. you know, it's, it's whatever, noon time to eat, or because their friend's eating, or because their grandma pressured them to eat, or, you know, whatever. I mean, yeah. there's, there's all these reasons that are not for nutrition. And, and there's a lot of foods we eat that are, you know, we, we're living in an environment. So there's crap food everywhere. I mean, most of the supermarket, all this stuff is processed garbage. Everywhere you go, you go to the doctor's office, they got candy bars or they got suckers or little pieces yeah. of candy. You go anywhere, the vet, you go to the gas station. It's everywhere. It's never going away. You're never, you're not going to change the environment. I mean, it's not like we're going to magically, you're going to live in a world where there's only whole food that you can eat. There's always going to be the crap there. Yeah. So you have to change your relationship with that food. And I find for people adopting a carnivore diet, I tell them in the beginning, eat like it's your damn job. How much do I need to eat? Eat enough so you don't want a damn cupcake right. or a piece of cake or whatever. That's how much you eat. You just eat enough so that you're satiated. You don't want these, you know, you, you, you get over these cravings and about somewhere around, you know, six weeks to maybe two, three months in people, all of a sudden they, they, they kind of say, Hey, I really don't, I could take it or leave it. I don't really need that stuff. I mean, it's not that you can never have a piece of cake again, you're left your life, but you, you you have this sort of ability to pass it. It's very liberating. You can say, yeah. I don't need that. So now you're, you've got this, it's almost like a superpower. I can walk through, I can be hungry and there's all this cookies and cake and all this stuff that I used to love before and I don't need to eat it. And I don't, I can wait, I can wait two hours until I can go cook, cook a steak or a steak and eggs or bacon and eggs or whatever I'm eating on my diet. Um, and that, that becomes very powerful. So you get to that stage where you eat enough and you don't worry about weight. And then, you know, after you, after you reach that changing your relationship with food, then you can sort of say, well, what is my, are my goals to get really lean? Like, you know, if you want to, like if you're a guy and you want to get to where you have a six pack, then you can change things up. But I mean, in the beginning, it's really just about, you know, making sure you have good nutrition. A lot of people, even if they're obese, they are malnourished. I mean, obesity mm. is a malnourishment disease. It's not, it's not undernourishment, but it's malnourishment. And basically what it means is, in many cases, you've had plenty of calories. I mean, you've got an abundance of calories. You just don't have nutrition. You may be lacking protein. You may be lacking vitamins, minerals, you know, micronutrients, because your diet is, you know, like I said, you eat these laced potato chips and they say you can't just eat one or Pringles or whatever it is. And you can't, I mean, right. you're a big guy in the NFL and I did this too. I mean, it was like, 
I'm going to eat a little thing of Ben and Jerry's. And that's like, well, shit, that's warm up. I'll eat three of these. Four. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. But, you know, when you're, when you're that big, you're just eating like a friggin' animal. I mean, yeah. You just can't, you know, it's like, I still, I mean, I can still put down four or five pounds of food in one setting if I need to, you know, and it's, it's just, you've got this, this, this ability to just crush this food. And Absolutely. It, it's, it, once you get started on that stuff, it's like, man, it's like, you know, it's hard to eat one bite of that stuff. It really is. And the food manufacturers know that. That's why there's right. it's, right. it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a profit making thing. The food industry is not there for your health. Yeah. Uh, they're there for profits and, yeah. uh, you know, and, and that's fine. They're their businesses. I mean, it's, it's capitalism. It's a free society. Um, but do you, you know, do you participate in that? It's up to you. Yeah, absolutely, man. So the, the key points are eat, eat until you're full when you're starting on the carnivore diet. Yeah. So if you're hungry and you're taking this step, eat as much steak or meat. Yeah, and, for, and variety is the other thing. I tell people, you know, like there's people that, you know, will sit there and they'll eat a, like a bowl of ground beef with no seasoning. I'm like, that's stupid. I mean, that's, yeah. that's not gonna be sustainable. Do some variety. I mean, if, if, you know, you need to eat, you know, bacon and eggs and, and a little bit of dairy and pork chops and steaks and fish and shrimp and mussels and scallops and, you know, whatever, and deer and lamb and venison and spices and seasonings. Do that in the beginning because it'll help you adapt and transition to it. Don't, you should count, you don't count calories, you don't count macronutrients, you count how much enjoyment you get out of your meal. Those are kind of yeah. meals you enjoy. Do that for a few months. Don't worry about if you get fat or get skinny or lean or whatever. Don't worry about that stuff. And then you start to taper off things. You say, well, maybe that dairy, maybe that cheese is not the best idea for me. Mm. Maybe, maybe some of those spices I'm reacting to, maybe that cayenne pepper is messing my guts up a little. Mm. You know, you kind of, but you kind of taper in and then you get to a point two months in, you're like, I'm just going to go, beef and water for beef water and salt a lot of people do that and then and then they solve issues and again it's where you're at if you're like a normal healthy dude or female and you're like i don't really have any health issues but i'm just trying it you can probably keep the variety in there if you're like i've got terrible gut issues i've got crohn's disease i've got autoimmune disease i've got ptsd severe anxiety maybe you have to drop everything and you have to really narrow it down and then you can add back in. And I'm, you know, like I said, when I, when I define a carnivore diet, when I go on lectures, I say carnivore diet is a diet that focuses on, you know, highly nutritious animal foods. And then plant foods are either limited or eliminated as necessary with the goal being health. And I think this is the point. It's not dogmatic. And there's people that will right. approach that I really want to be a carnivore. And I'm like, why the hell do you want to do that? Why don't you really want to be healthy? I mean, your goal is to be healthy. It's not to, to fit into some dogmatic belief it's, it's the right. opposite of veganism or veganism and again veganism isn't a diet it's, it's an ideology i mean there's a plant-based diet but a veganism is you know we're not going to eat animals no matter what and, and and i think that's different and i think they skew their yeah. beliefs about nutrition and health and the environment and so on and so forth because they're, they're they're bought into this ideology whereas i don't care what people eat i just want people to eat what makes them healthy now many people find that eating you know, an animal-based diet is more nutritious, better bioavailability, less gut disruption, less inflammation. That translates into health. And that's all I care about at the end of the day. All I care about is results. And that's, yeah. that's you know, people have theories about theoretical stuff. And I'm like, well, what are your, your results are? Yeah. Your results are not, you know, and it's not like I think I'm going to live to 100. I mean, no one, no one knows. I mean, these longevity experts are like, well, do my protocol, take my, 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 my supplements and, 
we think you're going to live longer. Where's the money back guarantee on that? I mean, you know, it's, it's like, you know, well, well, I only lived to 92. Well, you know, you could have lived to 88. I mean, there's no way to know. I mean, and so yeah. all I say is look in the mirror today, look in the mirror tomorrow. Are you better than you were yesterday? Yeah. That's all we can realistically do. And I think people that, that try to make claims otherwise are people's ass quite honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really appreciate that, man. Um, well, shit, man. I, I really appreciate your time. I think that that was awesome. and It got a lot of great information down there. Um, is there anything you want to share before we roll out of here? Um, you know, I just think that, you know, don't limit yourself. Don't put, let other people limit you because a lot of people will tell you what you can't achieve, what you can't achieve, what's right, what's not. I mean, there, this is, don't listen to me. I mean, I mean, I, I, like I said, I have a, you know, you can listen to me what you want, but test it out. Test what I say out on yourself. If you want to try it and see what happens. And, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. There's no, there's people that do a carnivore diet and don't have success in there. And I say, well, why the hell are you doing the diet? Mm. If you don't get a success, do something different. Try it, test it out. Don't be afraid to change. I will tell you, your doctor is not a good source for diet advice. They're not a good size source for exercise advice. Most of them are clueless. Uh, you know, there's some that know, but I mean, most of them, sure. so that's not where you go to get your health advice from. And, you know, I mean, doctors are good and this is what we have now. The medical system is now the disease management or the disease, really the disease maintenance industry. Because all we're doing is maintaining these people in our disease, giving them some pills, high price pills that are band-aids for the problem. We don't really solve issues. You have to take it in. You know, you are your biggest advocate and don't listen to anybody else. Uh, I mean, you can listen to them, but make sure you, you know, what was it? George Bush was a trust, but verify guy. You know, we trust, maybe we trust what you say, but we're going to verify. So I say verify, see if it works for you. And if it doesn't work, go do something else. You know, you might, you know, you might have to adjust things. That's fine. And that's what we, we do as a, as a, as a community where we're trying to help people to, to make adjustments as necessary. But in general, uh, you should not feel bad. I mean, you should not be depressed. You should not be in pain. You should not hurt. You don't accept that and, you know, do what it takes to get better. I love that, man. Thank you so much for that. And, uh, I definitely, I'm on your wavelength with all that, man. Um, so Dr. Sean Baker, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, where can tell everybody where they can follow you and find all your information. And I'll be sure to include that in the show notes when this episode comes out. Yeah. So like I said, every single day at meterx.com, I hold a video chat meeting. We have 50 to hundred people in there and I answer questions every day, seven days a week, 9am Pacific time at meterx.com. Um, I have a social media, you know, several social media things. I do Instagram, probably what I probably do a little bit of the most. It's Sean, S-H-A-W-N, uh, Baker, B-A-K-E-R, one nine six seven. I'm also active on Twitter at sbakermd, and then I have a YouTube channel where I upload, you know, videos. It's just Sean Baker, S H A W N B A K E R again. Um, upload videos most days, and you know, sometimes it's, you know, relevant stuff. Sometimes it's controversial. Sometimes it's just what I'm doing, food and working out wise, because people are interested in that. And so, that is where I most often and most likely to be found. Awesome, man. Well, I encourage everybody to check you out. Um, thank you again for your time. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Ebb and Flow podcast. I'm your host, Evan Britton. I hope you guys are doing the best to stay in the light in this insane time. Lots of love to you all. Keep spreading the positivity. I'll see you next time. Peace. <laughs>